Well, I've mentioned Ted Turner before, just in passing. I wanted to give you the full quote this morning. But if you don't know who Ted Turner is and who he was at this time when he was interviewed, uh, you've heard of CNN, right? He was the founder of CNN. Also of TNT, of TBS. He was the owner of the Braves, the Atlanta Braves. He had a lot of money and fame and power. And Barbara Walters interviewed him, and I, I, I don't remember, it, was, it must have been in the 90s somewhere when the interview was done. But Barb, one of the things she asked him, she said, what is it like to be so successful? Because think about it. This is what people look to. This is what people hope for. This is what people think will make them happy to have the world by the tail, to have what this man had. And he said this to her, and I appreciated the candor. And you could just almost see the color leave his face. He looked down. He said, well... I think it's kind of an empty bag to tell you the truth. To a large degree, it is. But you have to get there to really know that. Or you have to listen to somebody who's been there and learn from their mistakes. He said, I mean, money doesn't buy happiness and neither does honor or position or awards or trophies. And you could just put dot, dot, dot there and you fill in all the other things that people tend to hope in. Ted Turner at that point was worth 2.2 or so billion dollars. He had everything that people think will satisfy them and his conclusion was empty bag. Puff. Can't sustain you. That's what Solomon is saying. And Solomon, did you know that Solomon at the height of his power and riches would have, would have been a trillionaire instead of a billionaire? Now, we can't conceptualize that amount of money. A trillion dollars is a million million. If you take a trillion dollars in hundred dollar bills and stack them on top of one another, it's two and a half times the height that the, the space station is above the earth. Starting to get the picture. This is a pile of money. Way, way more. And he made, he, he, I mean, Solomon made Turner look like a punk. He's the richest, wisest, most powerful guy. He was the king of kings in his day. Everybody's bowing to him and his power and his wisdom. And he's telling us that everything here, everything here is a, it is an empty bag. It can't sustain your joy and happiness. It won't forever satisfy you. Nothing here was meant to do that. Everything here is meant to serve you and point you to God. But Solomon, and you know, we, we know he turned from God for a time and he's worked all these things out and he's sharing the lessons that he's learned at the end of his life after he's come back to God, we're hopeful and convinced. But he, Ted Turner, and Solomon is basically saying the same thing, is that all this stuff we hope for is an empty bag. I know some of you were wondering what this was. Money, possessions. Pleasure, power, fame, education, freedom. I know some of you kids can't wait to get out of the house. Boy, when I'm free of my parents, I'll be happy. 
Good luck. <laughs> Enjoy that now before it's a reality. But so many things that people hope for and so many things that people think will satisfy. And Ted Turner was saying, really, it's an empty bag. I mean, how about this? Money, money and possessions. See, my bag's not empty. Money and possessions. And you get, if you've never had it, you get money and possessions and you enjoy them for a while. I mean, kids, you even know this, right? I remember this as a child. That gun, yeah, I got guns when I was little. That cap, that cap gun that I wanted that was going to satisfy me, I got it. And there was always some, just something imperfect about it. I enjoyed it. It was great for a while, and then it was just my cap gun. So money and possessions. Yeah, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof is death. But nothing on earth is meant to satisfy you. So you get it, you enjoy it for a while, and then along comes life. You can't see this, but this pen is life. And you know... A, Life has a way of bursting our bubble, doesn't it? And we find out it won't satisfy. How about fame? Ted Turner had it. He said it. You know, I'm sure when you first are famous, you enjoy it, and you think you've, you know, hit the lottery, and then life, yay, one pop. That's what I wanted him to do. <laughs> and then life has a way of bursting our bubble, doesn't it? disabusing us of unrealistic thoughts and expectations. Pleasure. Life burst the bubble. It's pleasurable for a while. You think that new spouse or that new girlfriend or that new boyfriend is going to satisfy you? And they do for a little while. And then you find out they're sinners just like you. And the world revolves around them just like it does around you. Things come into clash and boom. The air's let out of the situation. Power, same thing. These are some tough little balloons. <laughs> and then today, wisdom. Wisdom is a great servant, but it's a horrible God. And it's insufficient to sustain your joy and happiness. And it won't help you answer all the questions and it won't fix everything. And it certainly won't deliver you from death. So life has a way of... The last one was the best one. <laughs> Truly. An empty bag. A bag full of popped bubbles. Of false expectations come to be shown for what they are. Solomon is the ultimate one to say, I've known it all. I've done it all. I've seen it all. I've had it all. I even have the t-shirt. And I'm telling you that it's an empty bag. It's a puff. It's chasing the wind. So we're going to look at wisdom today. We've, we've just started our study in Ecclesiastes. And I don't know um, if you've heard all of the messages, but you can go back. They're on the website. They're on the Facebook page. Uh, you can find them on... The, YouTube as well. But we started with chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, and we saw the bookends of the book that shows us where he's going. So, you know, he, you read this now and you say, wow, this is mighty pessimistic. This is discouraging, but he's going somewhere. He's disabusing us of all of our uh, false notions. He's, he's taking the rose-colored glasses off and showing us how 
There's only one true and living God. There's only one source of joy and purpose. And we have to be placing our heart and tying our expectations and hope into Him. Everything else will let us down. And so we started off just introducing Solomon, introducing the book, seeing where he's starting and where he's going. And then we talked about last time that there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, from the rest of up to, it was verses 3 through 11, we saw that very important question that sort of sets the stage for what he's going to say in the book. You can look at it in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So today is what does he gain by seeking wisdom here under the sun? And if that's as far as we look under the sun, it leads to frustration. The promise, or if you want to call it the temptation, started in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. The promise is that wisdom will make life happy. That forbidden fruit was good to make one wise. To get one to be their own decider of what was right and wrong. To step out from under the authority of God and be their own king. The temptation... The promise even is that wisdom will make you happy. The reality, the main point, wisdom cannot fix all of life's problems. It cannot give you peace. And it cannot, the most important one, it cannot deliver you from death. So let's look at it right quick. Verses 12 to 15, we see that human wisdom cannot fix all of life's problems. <clears throat> I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And now watch, he's, he's, he's starting, he's showing us what he's doing. What is he doing? What is he sharing with us in the book? He's saying, and, and he's going to start with wisdom and move on from there. But he says, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom. Now you remember, if you go back and listen to the first message, that he's, he's the, he was the wisest person. He's the wisest one who ever lived under Jesus, right? He was, God give, gave him great wisdom in answer to his prayer. So he's applying that wisdom to search out to find and see if there's joy and lasting joy and satisfaction and purpose and all that anywhere else other than God. He said, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven, all that is done in this, on this earth, in this world that we experience by our senses. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold... All is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. So before we look into this, let's just think a minute. And we're going to talk more about this as we go through the book because it's a recurring theme in the book, so we'll develop it more as we go through. But just at a basic level, what is wisdom? When you hear the word wisdom, what do you think? Well, wisdom, wisdom is the right use of knowledge in a very basic way of saying things. It's taking our knowledge and using it for the best thing. Creating not only the best goals, but the best, best paths to achieve those goals. The ability to discern or judge what is true, right, and lasting. He's leading us in that study. <clears throat> How to use true knowledge to accomplish the best outcome. So you can learn a lot of stuff. You can have a lot of degrees. You can have a lot of knowledge and have no wisdom. You can be the smartest person around and have no wisdom. 
not understanding how to use that knowledge for the best ends. Like, think about a gun. You know, we have a lot of Marines and a lot of Marines' wives and a lot of wives, a lot of wives are packing just like their husbands. Well, think about a gun. You can know everything there is to know about a gun. You can tear it down to the springs and put it back together. You know how it operates. You know what it can do. You can know all of that and not be wise in the use of a gun, but foolish. And do silly things like point guns at people when you're playing. I had a friend in a town I'm from that pointed his gun at his brother and pulled the trigger and blew him through the window with a gun he thought was not loaded. Thankfully, the shotgun hit him in the shoulder instead of down here. He lived. See, he, he knew a lot about his gun, but he was foolish with it. Wisdom is knowing the best use of a gun and how to use it rightly and how to use it safely and use it for safety for the right reason in the right way. And ultimate wisdom is knowing how best to use this life for the right reason and in the right way. What is the chief end of man? If we're wise, this is how we think, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So here Solomon is highlighting the frustration of this life. He, he says he's looked around, he's wise, he's looked around and what he sees is an unhappy business. People running to and fro all over the place, seeking satisfaction where it can't be found. Refusing to follow God and reaping all sorts of misery in their lives. He's like, you know, with this great wisdom and ability to look around and search things out, it didn't end in happiness. He said, what I see on the earth is an unhappy business. Man is very busy but remains unsatisfied. Why? Because he seeks it in the balloons. He seeks it in the things that were never to be sought for that happiness and satisfaction. Mankind is chasing the wind. Frustration abounds in the world. Man thinks he knows so much, but very little true wisdom. Socrates said this. He said, true wisdom comes to each of us when we realize how little we understand about life, ourselves and the world around us. How little we under, really do understand. And we might have a lot of knowledge and very little understanding of things. When we, humility leads to growth and pride leads to a fall. See what Solomon is saying, he said, I brought my wisdom into play and, I, I, and I've searched out this thing. And, and in fact, he could tell you, I've searched for satisfaction in all of the wrong places. Every path you think you want to go that will make you happy, I've gone down that path. And I found it to be an unhappy business. It didn't lead to happiness. It didn't lead to joy. It didn't lead to satisfaction. I've searched out everything that is done under the sun. And my conclusion has been, it's a puff of wind. It's temporary. It, it's non-sustaining. You can't catch it. You can't hold on to it. He says, what is crooked 
cannot be made straight and what is lacked. Certainly you can't count things you don't have. What is his point by using that little figure of speech? Wisdom won't fix everything. I thought it would. I thought I would bring my wisdom into play and search everything out and be able to come to the right conclusion and, and fix things, but wisdom can't fix all of life's problems. It can't make the crooked straight. It can't provide what is lacking. It won't like make life perfect. I'm a little disappointed in what I've found. Wisdom can't fix all of life's problems, including political wisdom. I'm not saying abandon all politics, but stop hoping in that. Be faithful. Be a good citizen. Do your, don't put your hope there. If you haven't figured out that politicians will disappoint you yet, you're really young. Or Supreme Court judges or any of that. You see, America's problem is not political at its root. It's rebellion against God. It's sin. And it's going to get worse and worse without a big move of God and a big revival. It's going to get harder and harder to be a Christian in America. And that will call the church because we got a lot of pretenders in the church. We got some that don't know they're pretending. We got a lot that actually know that they're pretending. Wisdom can't fix everything. Human wisdom cannot fix life's problems. And the wisest guy who ever lived has come to that conclusion. Secondly, look, look at this quickly. Wisdom, human wisdom does not give you peace. It doesn't lead to peace. Look at verse 16. I said in my heart... I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I am the most wise, most knowledgeable person around. So if anybody was going to be content in it and find peace in it and find satisfaction in it, it would be me. And I applied my heart to know wisdom. Now watch. To know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Madness and folly. What is folly? Very quick definition. It's the opposite of wisdom. Foolishness. It's using our knowledge to accomplish bad ends. Bad goals with bad ends or bad conclusions. It's not caring what is true and right or lasting. Just what feels good. Just what I want. Just what I think will make me happy. I don't care what God says. This is the path I'm going to take. And it's going to work because you know what? I'm terminally unique. I'm the one, that, the one it's going to work out for. It hasn't worked for anybody else, but it's going to work for me. But you know, there's a tie between sin and misery. And sin always ends in misery. And it's a very sad thing when the misery doesn't take place till after this life. But most times, it quickly pays off in this life. Misery and destruction is what sin brings. And the ultimate folly is careless disregard for God and His commandments. The ultimate wisdom is, you saw it in Proverbs 2, Seeking God and His commandments. Being wise so that I turn from evil. Wisdom is profitable. It's a good servant. It's a horrible God. It's not, we don't find satisfaction and joy and purpose in our wisdom, in human wisdom. We do in our God. 
So he, he investigated folly. He investigated foolishness. And he puts two words here together. He says madness and folly. And, and I don't think you know, he, he's meaning to necessarily separate the two. I won't bore you with technical terms. But he's bringing two words together to communicate. One le- lesson is that folly is madness. Folly is madness. It's madness to rebel against God. It's madness to go your own way. You know what? At some point, God will give you over to your own way. And you don't, that's not what you want at all. And the ultimate, listen to me, look at me, especially you kids, the ultimate foolishness, the ultimate folly is rejecting Christ. Is not seeing your need of a Savior and rejecting Christ and going your own way in your own strength. Solomon clearly teaches us if you balance things out that, that we should choose wisdom, but when we do, we should realize its limitations. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with a lot of these bubbles here that, that we pop. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. It's all God's idea. There's nothing wrong with, you know, being a king and having a lot of stuff or, or whatever. But what is wrong is using it for self instead of for God. Seeing it as a God, a place where you find your satisfaction. We are good at turning God th- good things into God things. To making idols out of them. And that's what we want to avoid. Clearly, we should choose wisdom and realize, but realize its limitations and never rest in our own wisdom, our own knowledge. See, human, human wisdom under the sun, pursuing it as, a, as the fix-all and be-all is chasing the wind. How many of you have ever caught the wind? You, you chase it down and you catch it and you hold it. Catching smoke, you ever tried that? It's, I mean, it's... And it, a picture of foolishness, chasing the wind, vanity, looking to that to satisfy. And look what he says it leads to. I applied my heart to know wisdom and madness and folly, and you know that he did, and you know that he rebelled against God, and he's going to lay a lot of that stuff out, and where he sought pleasure and lasting joy and satisfaction, how it fell apart. You're going to look at a lot of that in the book of, of I start to say Ephesians. Ecclesiastes, as we go forward. But he said this, this is where wisdom led him under the sun. For in much wisdom there is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Under the sun. What is vexation? None of you got up this morning thinking, I want me some vexation. (laughs) It just means irritation, frustration, even anger. Life makes you mad when you seek to turn God th- good things into God things, when you seek satisfaction in all the wrong places. But just on a, on a human level, why does wisdom bring vexation and irritation? Well, people won't listen. Be as wise as you want to. Most people won't listen. It's hard to watch people pursue a foolish course. I see it all the time. 
And it's hard to watch pe people pursue their own way when it's in opposition to God's way, and you know where it's going to take them. It might be in a short time or a long time, but you know where it's going to take them. Parents, it's hard to watch your kids make foolish choices, isn't it? Choices that will end in pain, in some form of destruction. But pain is often a good teacher. If you never let your children's foolish choices end in pain, you know what you're training them to be? Foolish. If you never take the training wheels off a bicycle, you'll never learn to ride a bicycle. And if you take the training wheels off a bicycle, at some point, guess what's going to happen? Pain. Now, that's not a foolish choice. That's part of growth. But foolishness ends in pain. People and children won't listen. Young people, listen to people that are older than you. People who have been there before. They used to look just like you. I know you don't believe that. Go back and look at old pictures. They used to look just like you. They've been through a lot. They know a lot of the dead ends. You should listen to them. You'll get farther ahead that way. But for some reason, we don't. And we think we got to go our own way and do our own thing. And then we end up making a lot of the same mistakes and having a lot of the same pain. And then we get past our 20s up into our 30s and we start thinking, maybe it's our 40s for some of us, we start thinking, you know, I wish I'd have listened to that. Now, not everything your parents say is right. Not everything you kids say is right. But in general, you should listen to those who are older than wiser than you. You can avoid a lot of pain that way. But I love him. But he's a fool. <laughs> or her. Oh, please avoid. Just if it feels good, do it. But wisdom leads to vexation, mostly because people don't listen and because it falls short of providing what we're looking for. But look at this last important point. And a lot of these things we're going to come back to as you think of You're going fast. I know. We're going to come back to a lot of this as we move through the book. There's a lot more talk about wisdom and folly in the book. But I want to get to this point right here because I think it's the most important for today. In chapter 2, human wisdom can never deliver you from death. Solomon and I've already read it, and I'll point back at some of it in, in a minute, but what he basically says is, is you know, I've, I've been wise and I've worked on wisdom, and what did, good did it do me? Because I've kind of looked at the end, and the fool that paid no attention is going to die. And the man who paid all the attention is going to die. So what benefit is there? What good is it? If we only look at this life, what profit is there in being wise? Seeing problems you can't fix, people who won't listen, experiencing all the frustration and sadness and stress. I mean, after all, he says, somebody's coming after me. I'm not going to last forever. And they'll just do what has been done. But then look at 13, he, there is a profit to wisdom. He said, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. Obviously, you know that there's more gain in pursuing God, His way, in His word, than just ignoring and rebelling against Him. There's no gain in that. 
temporary what we think is, is pleasure that ends in death and eternal separation from God is certainly not gain. But he says, I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than folly and there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person, this is a cool way to put things. The wise person has his eyes in his head. The wiser we are, the more we see things the way they really are, the more we, what Scripture calls walking in the light. But the fool walks in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't care. Just about today's joy and satisfaction. Just about making me happy. Y'all's job is to make me happy, and when you quit doing that, I'll find somebody else who will. And, you know, on down the line, we can go. Now, he says, no, wisdom is better than folly. You need to have knowledge and understanding. You should walk through this life. There are practical benefits to wisdom. You read Proverbs. It can deliver you. We saw some of that from the adulteress and from the wicked person who wants to lead you astray. So there's benefit in wisdom, and you should seek it under heaven and above heaven. You seek it under God, really, so you're getting it from Him and walking in, in His ways. But he says in verse 15, Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why have I been so very wise? And he's frustrated at that point. I've said in my heart that this also is vanity. Remember, vanity is not futile or meaningless, but it's just temporary. It can't sustain your hope. It literally, the word literally means a puff of breath. All is a puff of breath. All is a vapor. It will be here and then gone. Verse 16, for the wise as are the fool, there's no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have long been forgotten. We don't learn history, so we repeat history. We make the same mistakes. And a lot of times, well, I got tickled. I saw somebody on the news calling for schools to stop teaching history recently. And I thought, you did that years ago. You haven't taught history in public school in years. You've been revising it. What you crying about? This is where it brought you. But people forget. You know, Dr. Shaw mentions this. Um, I don't know if he put this in the book. I can't remember. But a survey was done in Europe not too long ago, a historical survey. And 25% of the people thought that Sherlock Holmes was a real person. And that Winston Churchill was a fictional character. Have we been teaching history? Do people remember? He says this, So I hated life, in verse 17. What is done under the sun is grievous. It's all... It's a striving after the wind. If we just look under the sun, eventually, if we're thinking right, we will hate life. It will be grievous to us. And listen, if there's no good, no God, there is no purpose, meaning, joy, satisfaction that is lasting. You just make it up as you go along. Now, that's not true. There is a God, and you very well know it. Romans 1. <laughs> but without God, looking just under the clouds, just under the sky, just in this earth, it's all a vanity and chasing 
after the wind. Solomon's not going to end there. This is very pessimistic, right? But he's not going to end there. Again, he's ripping off the rose-colored glasses. He's getting us to think beyond this earth. He's trying to get us to see that everything is a puff of wind and nothing can satisfy our joy and it'll eventually, life will pop our bubbles. But he's pointed to the most important thing here is that it can't, wisdom can't deliver you from death. It can't. It's coming, death is coming for the wise and the foolish. And we try not to think about it, don't we? Or young people, we don't even have to try not to think about it. We just don't think about it because we're young and you're old and I'm going to live a long time and I'm going to concern myself with other matters. The most important thing for you to think about is that you will die. Because young people, you might die very soon. People who've gotten swept away in rip currents or taken by sharks or killed in car wrecks never think it's going to happen. And yet it does. Death is coming for everyone. One of the things people avoid, and one of the things you should probably read occasionally, is obituaries. And read the history of people's lives. They were young, now they're old, now they died. Used to call it obituaries, I think most papers just call it deaths now. As though that helps. But all these people have died. It brings this truth home. You're going to die no matter how wise you are. You can see how we could fill up a stadium talking like this this morning, right? We'll leave that for Joel Osteen and his surface bladder. No, I'm not a fan. He doesn't preach the gospel. See, Solomon's pretty pessimistic so far, but he needs to be. He needs to shake us because he's been shaken. He needs to shake us and get us to look up. He needs to show us what the realities are. And the biggest reality that we face is that we're all going to die. See, some think this life is okay and therefore they never look up and consider the big picture. They're just content to sail along here, have all the joy they can get here, pass from this life. Some see that life really is frustrating, meaningless, that it is a puff, and they lose hope. Don't be either one of these. Look up in truth. Know that there's more than this life. There is a God who can satisfy all of your desires, that He has provided everything necessary to do that, and His word and His way is truth, whether you believe it or not. Death, death for us is the big escape room, isn't it? You've been to an escape room? Well, basically, they, you go and let people lock you in a room. Um, one I saw that, that was, you know, there's this, this murderer who's kidnapped all of you, and so... Hey, hey, they lock you in this room, and he's coming back in 45 minutes, so you've got to find the clues and decipher them and get out before he comes back, and like 80% of people never get out. But a, an escape room is that. It's, it's, a, it's sort of a modern form of entertainment where they lock you in this room, and in the room are sufficient clues to get out. But you have to find them and rightly interpret them as a team in order to get out of the escape room. Wisdom under the sun does not give you enough clues to get out. There's enough to let you know there's a problem. Only the gospel gives you enough clues to get out. You will die. Unless Jesus returns before then, and that doesn't help, you still need the answer. 
But Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says this, And just as that is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. In other words, you will live, you will die, and you will stand before God and give an answer. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Jesus is coming back. Not to deal with sin, He's already done that, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, not just intellectual belief, but whosoever trusts in Him, shall not perish. You might physically die, but you won't be eternally separated from God. You will go straight into the presence of Christ when you die if you're a believer. So that those who believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ died, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, He died for our sins. He was buried and He was raised the third day. Resurrection, Christ's resurrection is the greatest fact of history. You cannot disprove it unless you use a double standard. Why? Because it is true. He was raised from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He's coming again someday. And that proves everything He said is true. He is the Son of God. He has died to pay this for the sins of His people. He has been raised and is reigning. And He offers salvation to you as a free gift. He's purchased this. He wants to give it to you. Will you turn and receive it? Will you turn and trust in Christ? If you do, you have eternal life. And you've begun to live a life of true wisdom because you now have a relationship with God who through His Word will pour His wisdom into you. And that wisdom will help you in life but it will also root you in Him so that you look to Him for your joy and satisfaction instead of to you or to this world or to the things in the world. Paul says, and the guys don't have this. I, I, I just inserted this at the last minute. But, but he, this in 1 Corinthians, you can go read it later, chapter 1. In verse 20, talking about wisdom, Paul says, Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So worldly wisdom, self-centered wisdom, that's really not what, a, you know, Solomon's true wisdom, it just has limitations. But he says, Since in the wisdom of God the world did not come to know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly. See, unbelievers think the gospel is foolishness. So he's playing on words there. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Find in Christ the wisdom of God that will take you not just through this life with joy, but into the next life and abiding with a greater unimaginable joy and satisfaction when we get there. I need to stop, but I, I want to say one thing to you. Look at me. Thank God if you are dissatisfied with this world. If you are disappointed with this world, thank God. God, He's trying to get you to look up. He's not left you to your own yet. He's calling on you today to trust Him and to walk with Him in this life, to be forgiven, to be empowered, 
to have meaning and joy and purpose beyond this life and to walk through this life with a passion and a power that fuels a life that glorifies Him. But thank God if you're disappointed. Thank God if you hate life in this world. Jesus said that, not me, right? Jesus in John 12, 25 said, Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world, what? Will keep it for eternal life. What does he mean there? Whoever's willing to give this to God. He's not finding his hope here. Not finding his hope in himself or herself. Not finding his joy and purpose and satisfaction in his life. But is willing to give themselves to Christ. Keep their life for eternal life. A characteristic in the person whom God is bringing to faith, he will begin or she will begin to realize the emptiness of this life. I remember that clearly. And I was saved later. So if you were saved as a child, you'll never remember this. But you saved older. I remember the bar scene. I remember going night after night. I remember leaving those places and going, Really? There's got to be more to life than this. Ugh, I'm tired of this. I mean, I remember stuff like that. And it was a long time after that before I ended up being converted. But I remember growing in my disappointment and my hatred for this life and my not being able to find joy here. I was seeking it in people and, and in pleasure and in stuff and all the things people look for, right? It's a good thing if you hate life. Just don't stop there. Embrace eternal life. Trade in the trash for the treasure. Don't be too easily satisfied. Be wise in God's way, but don't worship and trust your own wisdom. Again, we'll come back to wisdom later. The wisest man says that everything here is a... And the wise among us will come to agree with him. Dr. Shaw, quote from the book, he says this, Death... And the temporary and frail character of life are evil. It is the man who recognizes this who is truly wise. The fool disregards this painful truth at his own expense. Listen to God. Trust in Jesus. Walk by faith and not by sight. Be filled with His Word. You'll have proper expectations here. You'll be useful here. And you'll grow in walking in joy and satisfaction in, in this life as you love and live for and trust in Jesus. Please don't place your hope here. Because it is really an empty bag full of burst bubbles. Place your hope in the eternal God who has sacrificed His Son to save you and to give you hope and to give you satisfaction and to give you joy that is much bigger than your troubles and to take you all the way home into eternity with confidence. Place your confidence in Jesus and not in yourself. When I was converted, this was one of the first verses I memorized. I'll leave it with you. It's the same author. But he says this in Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight or direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. For this is true wisdom. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, if there be any who are currently pursuing a foolish course, I pray that this morning would rock them and shake them and that you would change their direction, root them outside of themselves and in Christ. Help us to see the emptiness of this world and the emptiness of wisdom if we seek it for the wrong reasons, the emptiness of our own understanding and to embrace Jesus and know that, yes, in Christ life is hard. But there's joy that comes with the trials and the struggle. There's, there's hope that comes with the trials and the struggle. There's growth in a, in a satisfaction and a joy. And that you are taking us all the way home to a place where we will be with you forever in fullness of joy and satisfaction. And even while we're struggling, you use us to tell others about this glorious good news of a Savior who has died for our sins and been raised from the grave and of grace that offers us salvation as a free gift. Give us wisdom that is the wisdom of your word, that is the wisdom that loses confidence in ourself and places all confidence in you. Those of us who are believers, refresh us and renew us, Lord. The old will revive us. Draw us close. Fill us with your word. Empower us to walk with endurance and hope through the trials of this life. And even should life get hard for us because the culture is rebelling against you, help us to walk with, with confidence in you, with joy in you, and with purpose in you, knowing that you are with us and for us, never to leave us or forsake us. Lord, save and sanctify your people with your word. Place our confidence in you. May we look to the cross and rest there because our Savior has paid it all. Lord, we, we pray. Please open the eyes of those who are foolish, who are running from you and rebelling against you, or even just waiting like I did. Oh, I'll have time for that salvation stuff when I'm older. You are very merciful, but help us not to presume on your mercy. And those of us who know you, Lord, give us a serious faith. Not a mean faith and not a grumpy faith and not a, not a repulsive faith, but a serious faith that loves and trusts you, that seeks you in your word and seeks to live life for your glory. And help us to do so as a community. Help us to love and encourage and strengthen and help one another to follow you. Lord, we praise you this morning and we pray that your son would be lifted high and that all kinds of people, your children, would be drawn to him. So we look to you, we praise you, we thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.